0: And get on www.24-7prayer.com. I think that's where you can find that if you want it. It might be kind of motivating to listen to that several mornings a week as you go to work, you know. Have that thing cranking instead of your tunes. It's always good to have something that reminds you of what life is all about. You know, I don't know if you noticed this, but I just wanted to draw attention to this last night, mostly because I think for a number of you it would be really comforting, and especially as you begin inviting some of your friends to The Rock. There are a number of people here at The Rock, the first year, the second year, and this year, who are struggling with addictions. Did you notice that? A lot of people struggling with sobriety, a lot of people struggling with drug addiction, a lot of people coming out of that. And you know, I just want to let all of you know that uh, at The Rock, you're going to find support rather than ostracization for the things that you're trying to grow in. Sometimes you might feel like, you know, I I can't let anybody know, you know, that this is a struggle for me. And this is what's been going on. Um, I could stand up here and tell you a number of stories. I won't because I don't have the permission of certain individuals to tell them. But I just know that a whole lot of the young people that we have coming to the rock these days that just continue to seem to gather to the snowball that is going down the mountain here. Our young people that struggle with all kinds of real serious addictions that in any way, shape or form could ruin a person's life. And I just want you to know that you're welcome at the rock and I'm encouraged to see you struggling to overcome those things. Don't be afraid to share those with your small group to ask them to pray for you to let a couple people know or people you feel you can trust what's going on with you so they can pray for you. Don't ever forget that you have all the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you have the power of people behind you who want to help, who want to support you, who want to understand. Many will. It's always comforting to know that you're in a church where there's other people who are going through what you're going through who are dealing with the kinds of things you're dealing with. and <clears throat> Obviously, not every kind of addiction gets talked about in front, some of them because I think actually some of them carry much greater shame than others, but probably just about every possible thing you can imagine people are dealing with in one way or another here at The Rock. And We're just trying to grow to be more and more like God. That's what we're trying to do. That's what the goal is, is just to grow in our holiness and grow in our righteousness and grow in our godly living. That's what it's about. Secondly, I want to say thank you very much to Danielle for all of her organization and all of the work that she put into all of those events that you did yesterday afternoon. If I'm not mistaken, she and her father built all of those. Is that true, Danielle? Where are you? Marlon, thank you, Marlon, very much. Danielle, you and your father made all the crosses, didn't you? You and your father made all the crosses. And you got them to this town somehow, right? A semi-truck, I think, you rented. Anyway, we really appreciate it. What? Well, you know, I wanted to highlight that as well. Someone was walking. I just ran into somebody on the sidewalk. And it was someone who works with the PA. And they said to me, Mark, I think maybe it was Tim. He said, man... He said, that, that message on servanthood, he said, couldn't have been better timing. He said, last year, he said, we had about five guys. You know, he could give or take a few. We backed the truck up and it took us a couple hours to unload everything. He said, this year we had 20 people helping us unload all the PA. He said, we had it done in 15 minutes. That's the beauty of everybody getting involved. Everybody gets eternal rewards. Camaraderie is developed. No one injures their back or or gets a permanent injury. And it's done just like that. It's a wonderful thing. And I just want to thank you, uh, those of you who came up here early, those of you who've been putting this together. Dan and Tammy have put in tons of hours on this conference. Erica Prairie, and she designed these little things here in your... It's in my pocket. It's around your neck. I don't wear name tags. I'm sorry. It's just a thing that I have. But But I do have it, and I treasure it. It's a really cool color, too. Not one that I would have chosen. So, I'm, I'm serious. I'm glad someone else has the artistic ability because it's, it's very cool. It's very cool. She designed the journals for you, she and Tammy, and i uh, not one I would have designed either, so I'm really glad they did it. One of these years, we'll, we'll do leather. Some kind of leather. But the conference fee will go up, just so you know that. $30. Go ahead yeah, okay. All right. Anyway, thank all of you. I don't even know all the, all the different individuals who are involved in making this thing happen. Of course, I want to thank the band for all their hard work and being early for practices and, and putting in the blood, sweat, and time to do this. <clears throat> this morning, what I want to talk with you about is a radical lifestyle that God has called us to, and a little bit different than some of the other things that we've talked about, but similar. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you have called us to a different life than what we see in the world. And Father, we just ask you that we, we would live our lives, as the scripture tells us, like aliens and strangers, abstaining from fleshly lust which wage war against our soul. We just acknowledge to you today, Lord, that there is a struggle. It goes on every single day. Fighting us, warring against us. In fact, Lord, recently, it just struck me how living the Christian life in this body is like being disabled. It's a little bit like having Parkinson's disease. And and my hand wants to reach out and grab that glass. And my mind and the inside of me is still young, tells me to do it. But my hand won't cooperate and it fights me all the way. That's what it's like, Lord. And we try to live the Christian life with the power that You've given us. The flesh, literally, our own body rebels against us. We just thank You, Lord, today that You've given us the power to overcome the pull of our carnal desires. Lord, we ask You, uh, many here are very young in their faith, like a little child learning to walk, and their cute chubby little legs won't quite hold them yet, and they wobble and they fall, and they wobble and they fall. Like a little baby who, when they're first small and they're in the crib, and they reach out and their little hands can't quite grab what they want to grab. But as they grow and it develops and they learn to, to discipline the hand and their motor skills. God, we want to discipline our spiritual motor skills. We want to live out the life of Christ so that when others see us, they can tell there's a difference in our lives. Just as they could tell in Jesus himself and <clears throat> the early disciples there was something different. As the Sadducees could tell, these men had been with Jesus. And we pray that others would tell that something supernatural is going on in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> when I talk about a radical lifestyle, again, remember the definition of the word radical, a departure from the usual and the traditional And that's what we mean by something radical, something that's different than the norm. When I talk about a radical lifestyle, I'm talking about a commitment to living out the principles of Christ in our personal decisions, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our money, and in our morality. I'd like you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Once again, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. Sorry, my allergies. They're really bothering me this morning. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven and eternity fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, your real life is revealed to the whole world. You will share in His glory. I want you to notice that the Bible talks about this new life that we have. And God wants us to set our minds, our thoughts, our perspectives on heaven and on eternity. On the things that are to come. Not on the things that are. It's very easy, isn't it, to have our mind full of thoughts of worldly things. Worries and cares and concerns and all kinds of pursuits. And they cloud our vision. Then he goes on to say, so put to death. That's a strong word. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Do not be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. <clears throat> Many people would not consider the American way of life idolatrous it Is as every bit as idolatrous as Hinduism. The all-consuming passion of Americans is consumerism. <clears throat> the want for more, the pursuit of more, A great lack of contentment and a great sense of greed and covetousness. But we don't call it that. We just call it, we just want to improve our lot in life. There are all kinds of ways to disguise it. Now, I want to make sure that you understand there's a distinction, obviously, between taking a better paying job, improving your lot in life, saving money ahead for the future. The scripture balances all of these. But the American way of life is completely out of balance. And it can come in our lives where we're just greedy for the good things of life. Also, I want you to notice the emphasis here on sexual sin. The Roman world was consumed with sexual passions. In Colossae, where Paul was writing to, called the Colossians, the temple worship of the day was sex. You would go to the temple. It was very normal. And this would start very young, 13, 14, 15 years old. You would go to the temple and you would have sex with the temple prostitutes. And that was considered a sacred duty. Paul is writing to a culture. I, I, I read a book not too long ago, but it was a secular book called Paul the Traveler. And so the book, quite honestly, was far more graphic than what many Christians tend to write about the early Roman days. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that we live in an extremely carnal society where sex sells everything. You don't have to look much farther than Britney Spears and Destiny's Child to shake their little bootylicious whatever all over the television. It's appalling to me, frankly, think about this for a minute, dads, future dads, To allow your 19-year-old daughter to slut herself on national television like that. Blows my mind. That's how far we've come. We've come so far, in fact, that there are specials now on strippers. In fact, recently, there was a young lady, California, I think, of all places, 19 years old, running on the track team, who decided she can make more money as an exotic dancer. It's a fancy word for a stripper. And finally, the track team and the coach, who happened to be a born again Christian, told her that her, her actions were unbecoming to an athlete. He used the student handbook. He asked her to leave. They sued, and eventually the school had to back off. That's the day and age we live in where, you know, now strippers are given equal status to being a doctor. But let me tell you something. As bad as our culture is, it doesn't even hold a candle. Ephesus Corinth and Colossae in Corinth the church there Paul Paul led most of the Lord he founded the church eventually he had to excommunicate a man who was sleeping with his own mother even in our society that only gets on Jerry Springer and then once in a great while that kind of thing was normal in pagan society you remember when you saw the movie Gladiator if you did You remember the lust that the ugly scumbag guy who killed his father, Julius Caesar, was it? Or Marcus Aurelius, I forget who it was. And wanted to sleep with his sister. That was normal in Rome. (coughs) Normal. That was normal. Sex was everywhere. And it was, if you study Western civilization, it was the gross immorality of Rome And the gross paganism that destroyed Rome. Homosexuality was rampant in Rome. It was rampant among the Senate of Rome. And the kind of brutality. You know, I was walking this morning and someone told me, Mark, I don't know if you knew this, but on the DVD of the Gladiator, there's extra footage and they actually show Christians being killed in the Colosseum. That was sport. was sporting it was an unbelievably pagan society yet here's the positive the positive is that even Christ is powerful enough to transform such a society and that's what happened within 50 to 70 years the early church transformed the Roman world the Roman world and eventually Christianity was adopted as the official religion of Rome, which in one sense kind of destroyed it. It wasn't what the Christians wanted, it's what Constantine wanted. It was was an unbelievable environment, yet even there, the gospel is powerful. So we flash here back to this chapter. Put to death... These things, God's terrible anger will come on those who do such things. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this, all right? God's terrible anger. A lot of times, that that verse is stuck in there, and so we read it, and we think to ourselves, Wow! I messed up in this area, Mark. I fell last week, or I stumbled two weeks ago. Man, God's going to get me. No! No, see, this is why you have to know Scripture. The Bible says that Christ suffered the wrath of God for us. What Paul is saying is he says, my gosh, don't be caught up in this because this is one of the very reasons God is going to destroy the whole pagan world and with his rage. He's not saying, he doesn't insert this verse to say, hey, stay away from this stuff because God's terrible anger is going to come on those who do this and if you're one of those who do this, his terrible anger is going to come on you. That's not true. You see, you have been forgiven. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in fact, when you begin to get a hold of that, you know the greatest way you can show God you love Him is to live out your thankfulness each day by living for Him. if the Lord means anything to Him, then say thank you every day with your life. You see, that's what we do as a Christian. We say thank you, Lord, with my life. And the way I do that is, is in the little decisions of my day, I choose not to say a certain word that comes to my mind so naturally as breathing. Maybe it doesn't to you. Maybe that's not one of your struggles. It's certainly been one of mine over the years. Man, I just, you know, my volatility, I hate it. I I was telling my son Micah recently, maybe this is true of the babies of the family, maybe it's not. I don't know, but Micah seems to have all of the best qualities of the other three children. He he just seems to be a blend of each. Maybe that's the way it is because he's just been around so much. I don't know. And maybe as he grows, he'll even be more of just one way. I don't know. But one day he and I were driving and and I looked over and put my arm around him. And I said, Mike, I said, you know, if I could come back as anybody, I'd come back as you. I wish I had your... Your natural mellowness, Micah. You're you're kind to everybody. You just you know, and you just you just do it. Of course, you know part of it's the training that he grew up with. But but he can be he can be leader like when he needs to be, but he's not volatile like me. And I hate that about myself. I I genuinely hate it. It just it just comes up in me. I don't know, maybe for some of you sadness is that way or or, or just a criticalness or or negativity. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe some of you are just duds. That's how you view your personality. I don't know. And I remember Brent telling me one time, he goes, yeah, Mark, well, you know, the difference between you and me is, no, I'm just boring. Some of you don't know Brent. He's a pastor I found Evergreen with. And I said, I guess I could see that. <laughs> 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 well, what does that say about me, you know? I mean, I, I don't like when people start to describe me. Because I, 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 I don't like what I see in me. That is in my flesh. I hate it. I genuinely despise it. And what speaks to me here, all these things speak to me, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. And, oh, God, can I erase that, like, from the Bible? Can I, can I just pretend that isn't there? There. See, you know why, why this stuff is hard sometimes for us to go over? is because it hits us in our self-esteem. We start taking it really personal. We go, well, Lord, that kind of speaks to my personality. I mean, I mean, how do I separate me from me? I just grew up certain ways. No question would have been really helpful had I received certain discipline on the backside for my attitude and my temper as a little kid. I mean, you know, if, we, if I was playing with my brothers, we'd play a game. We, we were too poor to have pool table, so we had a carom, carom board. I don't know if you know what that is, but now anybody has video games. Nobody even has board games. But it was this round board, square board out of wood, had these round little rings, and you hit them with a stick, and we pretended we were playing pool. If I lost, I broke the sticks. You know, I smashed them. You know, that, was, that was just me. Just expressing myself. Then I get saved and find out that uh, Christ didn't do those kind of things except in righteousness and then only once. And then in the temple when he made a whip. I didn't have too many excuses like that. And God started working. He said, don't don't (coughs) lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old evil nature with all of its wicked deeds and in its place you've clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within you. And you see, that that's figuratively what happened. When we came to Christ, literally, when we came to Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, Behold, if any man or woman is in Christ, there are a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. <clears throat> and so we stripped off in a very real way, our old self, God did. In fact, it was some young person mentioned the term circumcision last night, and I saw everybody cringe. Well, actually, it's a biblical term. And the Bible says, in fact, I you know, ladies and men, in the book of Colossians, that we have been spiritually circumcised in the removal of our old nature. Now, I don't want to be gory or nothing. I don't want to draw any weird attention to any particular thing. But since it's in the Bible, I want you to understand something so that you understand how you can still have a positive self-image yet still need to grow in these areas. When you circumcise a male child, that which is cut away never comes back. Never. And I didn't choose the analogy. Christ did. God the Father did. And it is a symbol of the covenant in the Old Testament. And that is why Abraham and the Jewish nation circumcised every male child. When God, when we came to Christ, he circumcised you, your own nature. He cut it away. And as far as he's concerned, it's gone. Now what Paul is writing here is he's saying, now in light of that, regularly strip it off. Keep it off. Put it to death. Stomp on it. Kill it. Ah. Get away from me. And live out who you are. See? But sometimes what happens, Christians read this, and they get so discouraged. They go, man, this is I quit. Well, that's when you got to flip. It. See, this is why you've got to know your Bible. This is when you flip to Romans. My son, Micah, he came back from this little camp he went to. <coughs> first time he's ever been to a camp away from home, and he goes, Dad, so I am go out on a little date with him, we're driving, in. and I said, uh, so do you have any good verses, Mike? He goes, man, Dad, I read this one, and I was really surprised by this. He said, I wrote it down. So what is it? He goes, well, <clears throat> he said it's in Romans, Dad, chapter 7. I said, okay. And he said, I'll start with verse 14, Dad. He said, the law is good then. The trouble is not with the law but with me because I'm sold into slavery. I don't understand myself at all for I really want to do what's right but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong and my bad conscience shows that I agree with the law is good but I can't help myself because it's sin inside me that makes me do this. I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old nature is concerned. By the way, I believe and I want to settle the debate here I believe Paul is writing as a Christian, not a non-Christian. Do you know why? Because he says, as far as my old sinful nature is concerned, present tense, the only person who has an old sinful nature is a Christian. A non-Christian does not have an old sinful nature. This is why I find this to be one of the most comforting passages in the Bible. This is my experience. I want to do what's right, God. I want to do what's right. But there's this crummy old stinking body and it, and it pulls me over here, and I hate it. Paul was the same way. Sometimes you read about Paul and we go, God, this guy was like God incarnate. And I know Christians, they go, Paul never talks about any struggles. Any struggles. Really? What do you think this is? And then, then it just kills me when this happens. I hear Christians go, well, well he's writing about before he was a Christian. Oh, well, thank you for robbing it of its power. Because if he's writing before he's a Christian, then we got nothing to relate to. I believe it's very clear from the text. No matter which way I turn, he said, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try to do wrong, I do it anyway. Or don't try to do wrong. But if I'm doing what I don't want, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin in me doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right... I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another law at work within me that is war with my mind. The law wins the fight and makes me a slave of the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Christ. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. So what he's saying is, if this experience of the going back and forth. By the way, Galatians says the same thing. Galatians says, The things of the Spirit set themselves against the things of the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit, so that your choices are never free from conflict. There is a war going on in you all the time. There's a new movie out called Osmosis Jones. And it's this... Uh, Bill Murray's in it, and I think it's a, Chris Rockson, and he's a germ living inside, and they follow all the inside of... Anyway, never mind. I wish they'd make one about, you know, uh, spiritual and unspiritual Jones. And it shows this inner conflict in a cartoon form of this fight between, I want to do right, I don't want to do right, I want to do right, and it's back, and it's forth, and it's back... The secret, Paul's saying, is even though when I give in to sin and I really want to do what's right, there isn't any condemnation for me. And that fact begins freeing me. You see, because the law of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, when you understand this theology... When you understand the doctrine that I've been died to sin and I can live to God, that I have God's power in me, I don't have to be caught up. Yesterday's I'm a miserable person. I look at myself, I just can't stand the person I am. Yet there's the other person who's wonderful. And that's the real me. And that's the one who can live out this life for God. So... I don't have to worry when I'm walking along and I fall on my face and get mud on my face, spiritual mud. I just wash it off, stand up, and keep going. But by all means, don't quit. By all means, don't stand up and you got mud on your face look in the mirror and go, I really am pathetic. I'm ugly. I'm sick. I'm just, I, I can't take it anymore. See, because the blood of Christ continually cleansing you from all sin. That's why you have to have all these perspectives like fire all the cylinders. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. That oh, I got that scripture. Oh, that one. Oh, that one balances that one. Oh, that one answers that one. And it's going back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, I know you're tired. And I got a lot more to say, but I'm not going to say it. I want to give Greg plenty of time. And I know you're tired. I can tell you're tired. Yeah. And you are. <laughs> so... Anyway, my point here this morning, let me just give you some passages. This is what I'll do, and you can look these up on your own, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Second <clears throat> Peter three, eleven through fourteen. First Thessalonians four, one through about verse ten. Oh, sorry. What you do is abbreviate. It's one T H E S period four dot dot one through ten. Sorry, that's the secret, see? Did you like that? <laughs> Okay, let me back up. 2 Peter 3, 4 through... No, 11 through 14. Tricked you. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 10, approximately. Ephesians 4, 17 through chapter 5, verse 20. Should I write them on the blackboard like a school teacher? No, I won't. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12. That particular passage is on the area of contentment. That godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing with us. Therefore, if we have food and clothing, with this be content. For those who want to get rich, fall into many temptations... And snares, and many have fallen into ruin. For the love of money is the root of all evil. I want you to—I want you to learn. Here's what I want to show you. I want—I want you to teach you a quick lesson on contextualization of Scripture. What he says is, I want you to be content with food and clothing. Right after that, he says, those who want to get rich fall into many temptations. Wait a minute. Do you mean to imply that wanting more than my basic essentials in life is a desire to get rich? That is exactly what the scripture is implying. And then it connects it with the love of money being the root of all evil. In fact, if you go on to 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, I command those, Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age, not to put their trust in their riches, but to put their trust in God who richly supplies us with everything for our enjoyment and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share their riches with others. If Paul were here, he'd point at us as compared to the world and say, now I'm commanding you rich people in this room. You rich people and be generous with others. How many of us really, don't raise your hand because maybe there's someone here has really gone hungry in the last month How many of us don't have a place to lay our head or a car to drive or a way to get around? Again, that doesn't mean it's not time to get a new car or you shouldn't save up for the future and be frugal. There's many books you can read, Christian books on good financial stewardship. But the Scripture tells us look, you got food, you got clothing, you got a roof over your head. Hey, be content. There's power in that, there's freedom in that. And I I can't even tell you the joy that it is at 45. I own in this little twin home. It's my first one I've ever bought to just sit there on that tiny little deck as compared to other decks that I know of and look out on that little pond and go, Lord, I, I could die here. I could I mean who really needs more? Who really needs more Lord this is amazing. I never dreamed that I'm, you know I'd have a place and and, and recently this was really amazing. I don't know if I told you the story, I forget where I told the story, but yeah, I told you the story, forget it, about my hailstorm and the siding, and I can't even tell the sighting, and it just made me considerably wealthier. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm even wealthy. I just put it in the bank, I'll use that, Lord, for any future home stuff. You can't even tell that it's dented, but I know people who would strip it all off and go, i got to get rid of it. And, you know, I can kind of understand it, it's an investment and all, but chances are if I showed you and you were a prospective buyer, you wouldn't even know that hail had hit the sighting. So that's my whole point. Okay, last thing I want you to read is this week is the book of Daniel. And I wrote down here to myself, Daniel, a man radically committed to live out his beliefs. And that's what you'll see in the life of Daniel. Daniel was a man radically committed to living out his beliefs. It was his prayer life that got him thrown in the lion's den. I don't know if you know that. <clears throat> he was commanded not to pray, and yet three times a day he would go to into his little apartment. As far as we know, Daniel was never married either. Nothing wrong with being married or not being married, but he wasn't. And he kneeled facing his window. Some guys spied on him and they turned him in, and they threw him the lions for praying. Daniel's an amazing man. Amazing principles, amazing integrity, amazing commitment. That's radical. I mean, think about that for a moment. If you knew, you're gonna get thrown in the lion's den because Daniel knew it ahead of time. It says, in fact, right after the edict was written, Daniel went as his usual custom and prayed. That that's a little more than radical. That's lunatical. Do you know what I mean? You gotta be you gotta be a little off center to go, oh, I'm going to pray. Because I'm going to get thrown in the lion's den. And he he kneels down to pray. He knows it's a setup. He didn't compromise. He didn't compromise. And you know what happened? Something really awesome happened. God shut the mouths of the lions. And then the guys who set him up got thrown in before they even hit the bottom. I would love movies made about this stuff. Wow! They were just ripped to shreds. And I love it. It's like, oh, yes. Yes. Justice, you know, justice. And it's okay to think that way because it's going to happen. And you are coming back with the Lord and a sharp sword from His mouth and the armies of heaven and that's you if you read the book of Revelation and He is going to lay waste to the planet. And you're going to be with Him. And that's no joke. So just bide your time. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Stay calm. Stay calm. And a day is coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time here. We thank you that you've spoken to us and you're working in us. And we ask you, God, to work in our lives. Train us, instruct us, build us, help us to live these things out. And encourage each other and bear with one another patiently. As we're all trying to learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen.